Hello, hello. Welcome back to The Broad Perspective. I'm your host, Megan Cruz, and this is the podcast where we talk about movies and try to broaden your perspective on them. Um, I'm working on a cool, cool intro, so let me know if that one feels right. Um, I am joined today by two wonderful uh, friends of mine uh, to discuss. We're continuing along our journey of breaking down, getting into some deep dives of all the Best Picture nominees. And this week, we have a very contentious head-to-head of uh, Past Lives and Maestro. I definitely have a lot of thoughts on these movies, and I have a feeling my guests do too. So let me introduce to you uh, my guests, uh, the lovely uh, Michael, Michael Collado. Uh, he is a wonderful content creator. You probably recognize him, uh, from TikTok or a Twitter or, you know, other online spaces. And then we have my lovely friend, Nirupam, uh, probably better known as Huge as a Mammoth on Twitter, uh, and also TikTok. Uh, they are an incredible content creator. And also these are two of the funniest, uh, people I know. Um, Nirupam is also just incredible, amazing, wonderful, uh, unforgettable, wildly talented human being. And we didn't discuss this intro at all beforehand. That's just off the top of my head. <laughs> just, just, but I, I'm thrilled to have you guys on. Uh, how, how's your day going? Feeling good? Yeah. Oh my, that was a great intro. Like, and thank it's all you just, so much. It was all just improvised. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I had actually forgotten that it wasn't improvised and I kind of felt like a lesser person right there. I was like, wow, we're really going <laughs> into <laughs> to, <laughs> to intro I mean, Neuropump. I am not so. trying to play favorites, but if I were an Aeropump, it would be my favorite. Just That's okay. Neuropump's no. my favorite too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. No. I so you guys just watched you guys just caught up on you guys each had to watch one of the movies right? That's yeah. correct. Okay, I yeah. Maestro, and it took me six hours to finish that two-hour movie. So, <laughs> you know, I really I cannot I absolutely cannot wait to talk about Maestro with you guys. Um, yeah, I this has been an interesting week um, on the internet. I feel like things have settled a little bit since the initial like wild rampant uh oscar nom discourse i knew that the discourse was really gonna discourse but man even i was not prepared like for example the episode i recorded last week i recorded it like literally two hours after getting back from the oscar nom announcements and i was like okay what can i start with barbenheimer everybody those are the two best picture nominees that like everybody's seen so that'll be the perfect one to like kick off no one will have to like do their homework everybody can see the movies and I was like, okay, here's the reasons why I think Barbie's a good movie. Let's talk about Oppenheimer. And then I posted that episode and the internet like exploded with discourse about Barbie. And I was like, oh no, I, I'm not involved. I'm not with, I'm not, that's not about, I thought it was just going to be a normal snub conversation <laughs> because every year yeah. people talk about snubs no. like offhandedly. No. Discourse begins you know- discourse. The difference this year is that non-white people, uh, white people were snubbed. That was the difference. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, seriously, white women were doing a lot, a lot. Like it was like they were acting like it was like a civil rights movement. Yeah. Level. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's what? right. That like Ryan Gosling got in. You you didn't realize what the movie was about. Level yeah. Discourse. Now I understand what we're talking about. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I, I recently also realized I watched His Girl Friday for the first time, oh, and mm. it's a good movie. But it's like, I know every, everybody always says, but, oh, 
Oh, and sorry. Then, I didn't mean to cut you. I just said there's like a lot of talking in that movie. It's sort of how yeah. I'm doing now. I remember when I watched it, and I was like, wow, that finally ended in a good, in a, like, there was just so much. <laughs> there's a lot of talking. No, anyway, please. You're, no, you're exactly. talking. Please continue. No, I mean, I was, though, my only thing is I was like, people tell me all the time, like, I've been getting a lot of comments recently from people that are like, I can understand every creator on this app, except for you. You talked way too fast. English isn't my first language. And I was like, when I watched this Girl Friday, I was like, is this what I sound like to people? Because I, <laughs> I don't know. Although I will say, I was going to say no, but I think you're one of the few people I don't two times on TikTok. So mm. maybe you're like, maybe you just got that natural His Girl Friday cadence complimentary. Yeah. I guess yeah. So. yeah, I like it too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to edit one of my videos and it was long. It was way too long. If you guys think you're tired of listening to me talk, I was Listen, like, Jesus. It's but I the tried same. two times. I couldn't even understand it. <laughs> you talk fast. I talk too much. It's going to be a great podcast today. It's going to be such a good episode. And but I have I... nothing to say. So <laughs> we really compliment each other. Listen, this is going to be a good balance. I, I feel it in my bones. I definitely... <laughs> I'm thrilled to it's funny because you guys are also like totally on Twitter like I, I I'm so chronically online I hate it <laughs> like I, also I think that's the worst thing anyone's ever said to someone <laughs> just like me we all suck <laughs> I do not want to be introduced as this guy is really on Twitter <laughs> I mean, at least I didn't say you're so on X. No, I mean, I was trying to get to like kind of a compliment, which was like, we're, we're also on Twitter, but I feel like we're all pretty like removed from like the discord. I find myself getting yeah, into yeah. the discourse and then I just immediately get out of it. I'm like, I actually <laughs> didn't care this much. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> not, not for me. <laughs> yeah. The worst is like when you accidentally become discourse. Um, oh, God. oh yeah. You don't, you don't even know. To, well, I don't know about you guys, but once I realize something is happening, I'm like, let me mute this, and then you come back. It's like, oh yeah, a hundred thousand likes, and people are calling you out your name, and it, I'm like, it's what crazy. happened? Here? When um, past lives, I mean, got snubbed for director and uh, all that stuff. I said, so past lives just directed itself. I guess that's all I said. I, I muted it right away, and. I come back in like a few hours and it has 7,000 likes. And people are talking about me being dramatic and I have never seen any other movie. And this is the only movie I've ever seen. And people are like going going off. And I was like, I didn't even know. So I just went back to my life. <laughs> you, guys are, you guys are stronger than me. I don't mute. I just delete. I'm like, I don't, I don't want. Mm -mm. Oh, no. We do everything for the engagement. I guess yeah. I really am on Twitter. <laughs> That's what people accuse me of all the time. They're like, oh, you just did this for engagement. I'm like, I promise you, sometimes I'm just dumb. Like, sometimes, right. like, like, sometimes I just tweet something and I'm like, uh, this is t less than 240 characters. There's a lot of ways to interpret that that I didn't think of. So, You know, I'm never in a room with other people who do whatever the hell it is that we do. Um, and I, I feel like you guys might get this. Like going viral is the best and worst thing that could ever happen to you. And so whenever whenever something like is doing numbers, I'm kind of like elated and then filled with anxiety every single time. I'm like, yeah. oh no, what are the comments? What are the quotes? Let me not look at that. So yeah. we don't do it for the engagement. It is the <laughs> most stressful thing in the entire world. Like yeah. it's the worst, it's the worst feeling. I, I literally I wish that I had one of those like safes for my phone 
because I compulsively <laughs> check, especially because people love to like try and stitch me or like get mad at me. And I'm like, I, whoa, I'm so sorry yeah. that you don't like my opinion so much, but I don't oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, I hate it. I hate it so much. The sweet spot is like getting a good size audience and then not, then just say, just right. stop. <laughs> Which is you what I And just on TikTok, you can delete the comments. Oh, you, I mean, you can, yeah. You know, I deleted. This, have this has this happened to either of you on TikTok recently? I keep texting my friends because this keeps happening to me every time I get a video with more than like you know half my my existing audience size. I get a notification from TikTok and they're like, "Hey, we automatically turned on our anti bullying features. <laughs> we noticed that you might be getting some like really bad mean bullying, and we just want we're here to help you." <laughs> like, fuck. It's just I'm like, oh damn, okay, thanks, Daddy TikTok. <laughs> Yeah, so and they also, they don't send one notification. They send like five. Mm-hmm. It's like anti bullying on anti bullying, and I'm like, I get it. I get I'm it. I'm getting bullied. Like, send like a link to like a suicide crisis hotline or something because they're like, <laughs> just checking in. Are you okay? This is. I feel like I'm in the wrong weight class, like in boxing or something. I have never gotten this. I've never gotten soup so viral that TikTok was like, hey, you check. You might want to not look at the comments. That's why. <laughs> I do get like, hey, do you want to open your DMs to everyone? And I'm, I'm like, no, thank you. Please. Yeah, that absolutely not. Never say that. I would rather <laughs> sandpaper my nipples off. Like, absolutely. Right. right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Um, so, yeah. Let's, I guess let's go ahead and jump into these these movies because um, I fucking loved Past Lives so much. And I know, um, obviously, uh, Nirpom, huge fan. And I saw I saw your review on Letterboxd, Mike. So I was like, hell yeah. I love it. Oh. Um, the, the review being nine words that just say What'd that. you say? <laughs> what did you say? Um, I think, what did I say? I think I said, bringing your husband along on a date with the love of your life is crazy. That was um, it. the full review. Yeah. <laughs> but you also gave it four and a half stars and a heart. So yes. that's the, it's still a huge compliment. Yeah. Right. That's I a feel like letter- good review. Yeah, letterbox reviews are so conditional. I feel like I feel like you can say something totally offhand if the stars are high enough, and if there's no stars but you say something totally offhand, it's like, ooh, yeah, it's like really, you know what that means, you know? Yeah, that's letterbox discourse is a whole genre too. Um, not yeah, that we have to go people, into that, but people getting mad at like one sentence letterbox. That's all I do. It's like who has time to write a whole last paragraph? I have. I can encapsulate my entire feeling in one sentence. So be it. I mean, especially. Oh, I was going to say this doesn't bode well as a, a guest on your podcast right now. But especially, I don't know about you guys, but when I like watch a movie and I really like it, I almost don't have much to say. I'm just sort of like, yeah, this was incredible. I'll think about. Th- I'll have more intellectual thoughts later. Um, no, I mean I, that happens to be a lot when I see a movie yeah. that I love. Especially like when I'm thinking about making a TikTok video. If I really love a movie, I feel like pressured to make a video about it but i also am like all i want to say is oh my god i love this movie <laughs> you know like it's yeah. it almost gets to a point where like, i need to watch it like a second or sometimes even third time before i can get to like an analytical space because i'm just vibing you know yeah <laughs> that was me with the beekeeper oh <laughs> oh wow <laughs> now i'm excited the, to see it <laughs> jason statham action movie january drop I mean, I'm sure that it left you speechless. I, I really oh, I that. went just for him. Left you a buzz. I, I oh. loved it. <laughs> Jason no. Statham means business. 
Gotta I mean, business. Business. <laughs> business. I, I love it. Yeah, no. Um, Jason Statham, good for him, dude. Good for, good for him coming back and doing the doing yeah. kicking kicking in things. Um, but no, yeah, Letterbox is weird. Um, I literally sometimes I didn't even realize that it has like this culture of people that like use it like a regular social media app today. My notifications were flooded by people arguing in the comments of oh. one of my videos. Oh no. And they were just like going back and forth with each other. I was just like, "Do you are you lost? Like this is Letterboxd. What are what are we doing here?" But I guess people will will find a way to be angry no matter where right. they are. It's the internet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I I absolutely loved Past Lives. Um, let's start with Past Lives. I feel like in the last episode I started with Oppenheimer, and I had preferred Barbie. So like it was like a, I was surprised how much I talked about. Um, Oppenheimer but I I do also oof, I'm still nervous to talk about my show because I have a lot of thoughts so let's <laughs> let's start with the good let's start with past lives um I decided to pair these two up because past lives is my favorite film of 2023 I love it so much I just rewatched mm -hmm. it and it made me cry all over again um and I don't have the same love for Maestro. I have shared some thoughts strategically on the interwebs, but it's it's definitely my least favorite of the Best Picture nominees. Um, and so I thought that it would make for an interesting kind of duality for this episode. Um, and yeah, Past Lives, I, I literally just rewatched it again. It's my first time watching since it came out in January last year, right? No, Was it, February? it came out in July, I think. It came out super yeah. early, didn't it? Am I crazy? I so you went, you go out to all these festivals and stuff. That's why. Yeah, I think it premiered somewhere. Maybe that's why you're you're thinking it came out so early. Am I? I don't know why crazy? that sounded really angry, but maybe no, I. Right. It's, you're right. It came out in June. I wonder if there was like a limited release or something that I saw because I feel like I saw it really early, really? but I don't know because you're right. It totally came out in June. Um, uh, I went to Alamo, which I never do because it's too expensive. Oh yeah! Oh, the movie theater. <laughs> we don't have those down here. I was like, <laughs> remember, remember gotcha. the Alamo? They show a lot <laughs> yeah, of they show past lives. <laughs> I did see it. I saw it. I saw it opening day, June second. So I'm crazy. Oh, wow. Um, but no, I I saw it ages ago, and I hadn't watched it since then. And I was honestly kind of scared to rewatch it because it um, mm. it it so emotionally destroyed me the first time. I was really looking forward to rewatching it, but I was also just like a little bit intimidated. Um, and it absolutely held up. It was so beautiful. Um, but what, what were you guys, uh, like, I know you just watched it this week, Mike and Nirapam. I know you have been singing this film's praises for months. Um, so I want to, I want to know you guys like immediate thoughts on past lives. Oh, the <laughs> ending is something that I it completely destroyed me, wrecked me. And I remember getting into the Uber and I was having my own, uh, you know, moment where I looked out the window and I was <laughs> just God, cinematic parallels. Oh. <laughs> and I was like just crying. Yeah. And I was like, oh. And then the Uber driver kept like looking back at me. And I was like, just mind your own business. Let me have my, you know, <laughs> Greta Lee moment. But that, that, that whole movie, oh my God. It's, it's brilliant. It's so sad. It's, wow. Yeah. Just great. I was struck, I mean, maybe I should have guessed this. I just thought it was so romantic. Um, and I was, mm. I found myself like really smiling at the movie, which doesn't happen often. Like I was like, oh, wow. I'm like my, it's like my, my, the corners of my mouth were like high up 
up to my ears um, at a lot of the times. And even though it is sad, I think there's a part of it that's very um, comforting might not be the right word, but it's just, I don't know, something that kind of is joyful in a way um, too, even though it's kind of sad. Um, yeah, I guess I was charmed by the movie. That's probably the word I'm looking for. Like I found it very yeah. charming in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think the second watch especially, like I was definitely kind of swept up in the way that the story, like the the similarities that I could find in the story to my own life the first time I was watching it. I was very, it was a very emotional experience for me because I feel like when I was watching it this time, it felt less personal, which I think was a good thing mm. because the first time was just like an overwhelming emotional experience. Um, but I did, it reminded me of a lot of like classic romance films like, um, like Before Sunset and like In the Mood for Love that have this kind of like ambiguous, like unspoken kind of connection. Um, like the, like what they talk about in the movie, like the concept of Inyun. Um, and I just, I was really, what I loved so much about it is how much they felt to each other. Like it felt symbolic of like, not so much an actual person, but particularly when she was, you know, thinking about him and her childhood, it just felt so much like being being an adult reaching this point in your in your life when you you realize that you're not a young person anymore maybe you're not an mm -hmm. old person but you're not like and and thinking about like the paths you could have taken and I think the two of them kind of were so representative of like the people that they might have become in the lives that they would have lived together as opposed to like because I mean like I also was really struck by the romance of Nora and her husband because yeah. Nora and Arthur have such a sweet love story too and it's I think it just adds to like the sadness, yeah. but it also is, is really, really sweet in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading, um, I don't remember if it was yesterday or today. It might've been an interview with uh, Celine Song. Uh, and I think she mentioned, I'm probably misquoting, but she mentioned something like it was a story where like nobody, where all parties put everyone else's feelings first yeah. um and that's something that really felt came through when i was watching there's no bad guys you know it's like a very um circumstantial um which feels very true to life obviously um and so yeah i just um i just uh there's something about the, the fact that like like you just mentioned that both love stories are equally like they're equally beautiful maybe some of us prefer one or the other but that something about that makes it a little more tragic that there's not it's not like oh god why is she still with arthur you know why why isn't she blah 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 so yeah agreed like it it, it looks at all the characters all three people with like empathy and that yeah. i think is very uh important because yeah. uh arthur would in like in a traditional rom-com he would be the villain in a love triangle he would be the one that we're actively rooting against but yep. here even he mentions it he's like i would be the white guy standing in the middle of love and and it's it's so good that the movie yeah. also recognizes that and it subverts it where you're like you can't hate him because he's just he's a per like he's a he's he's someone that you would also want in your life right like someone like that who's understanding and very caring and so i i love that I, his character was i think the unsung hero in that film like oh absolutely like speaking of that ending that when she's able to just walk into his arms and cry is such a beautiful moment to me because it is you know 
in in the story is both literal and symbolic you know this is a real mm -hmm. person that she loved and they never they had circumstances that were out of their control really that were never able to let them like fulfill their potential but also it is like this you know symbolic idea of who you could have been and the life the lives you could have led um and so that kind of actualizing and and accepting that loss in real time and having a partner that supports you even in the sadness you're feeling about the potential loss of another love that's like that's such a such an astounding trust and like amazing foundation for like a, a, a partnership that is is so beautiful because I do think that like we live in a society that is so you know you've got to fall in love you've got to find the one and I have like I'm old enough now I've I've lived I've had enough experiences where I feel like the concept of the one is so it, I don't think it's silly I think it's romantic but I do think it's like a very naive concept because there are people who come into your life for sometimes just a season there are people who come into your life and are gone too soon and life isn't fair and sometimes you have to do things like they do in the film and they have their own ambitions and their own aspirations and sometimes it's just never going to align with someone else's. Um, and that's just a lot of the hard realities of life. But I feel like, you know, a lot of love stories kind of condition you to believe that there's this like, there's this ultimate person that's going to fix everything for you. And if you don't end up with that person, and it very often is like your first love. I do love that this movie subverts that trope too, because the whole mm -hmm. idea of the first love is I feel like such a kind of weirdly, it, I think it messes with a lot of people in real life because they, we have this idea that like, well, they knew you first, they were important. And the thing is, you are going to have relationships with people and they are going to have to accept all of you. And almost always that means accepting the fact that you've loved other people and you've had all these experiences and jealousy serves nothing in that moment. It's yeah. really just you have to accept someone. And sometimes that means accepting things that cause you pain too. But you know, that's, that's the beauty and the hardship. And that's why I think this movie is so, so beautiful and yeah. so powerful, you know, it's and so real. It, yeah. And even the relationships that you will have in your life, right. It, it'll be different types of relationship. Like, um, Hey son and Nora, it was more emotional. The connection was more emotional there and cultural too. Like, cause they would understand mm. each other in terms that, um, I keep want to say white guy, but Arthur <laughs> can't understand. <laughs> but then with Arthur and Nora, it's more intellectual where they, you know, talk mm. about books and writing and this and that. So I feel like the movie showcases like you in your life, you'll find people who cater to like different type of relationship, sometimes emotional, sometimes intellectual, sometimes different. So I really liked that. That's That's part of the reason why I think people connect to Arthur more too, because some people like that, right? Someone who can stroke their, like the conversations that you might want to have, like intellectual conversations. So I just, Arthur is incredible. That's, that was my point. <laughs> Arthur stands. <laughs> yeah. I do like I Arthur. <laughs> um, I don't know, like, I don't mean to guide the conversation, but I was thinking too, a little bit about how, like, I, the, the, what you were mentioning, Megan, about, um, like the first love and like coming back around concept and Nora Greta Lee's character kind of goes away from that idea she really like pushes through life like in a I guess in a linear fashion like she pushes quite forward 
And I think this is a story that really could have only been told at the time, like the time it's set, uh, because even just a couple of decades before, or even just a couple of years before, they never would have reconnected, right? Like they, yeah. it's only because of Facebook had just launched, if I'm remembering correctly, like Facebook had just launched or had just gotten big around that time. And so in a, the, the movie felt kind of like reminiscent of like older rom-coms, com is the wrong word, but like romantic dramas. Um, even though it, it had so much technology in it, which I know is like a big sticking point for people who hate contemporary rom-coms and romantic dramas. Um, but really it used it so well because it's kind of the point of the movie. It's like they were, they were almost feigning closeness through the computer screen, kind of like, kind of like what we're doing now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And that could have only happened. They could have only reconnected in this modern world. And even through that, like their lives didn't connect anyway at the end, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they caught up, but um, it still didn't change like who they kind of were meant to be. Um, Like Nora was meant to be in New York and be a playwright. He was meant to be in, in Seoul and do his thing there, become an engineer, very like, logical job versus artistic yeah. job and all that stuff so yeah i was i was thinking about that um especially because i'm weird and i really like when movies get technology so right and like even down to like the, the phones are correct and the, the like yeah. the laptops and like the old facebook screenshots it just felt very yes. kind of like even though it's only 10 years old i think in the middle <laughs> of the movies like 2012 it still felt like a period piece in a way yeah <laughs> no absolutely and i do think i think that is really important because as somebody who lived through that time and lived like I had a long distance relationship during that time. And it felt like a really true experience that a lot of people have had. Um, And all of the, you know, technology wasn't quite as like fluid as it is now back then. So you had the connection, but it it was not easy. You know, FaceTime wasn't a thing. So like Skype hearing, just hearing that Skype ringtone. Hearing the Skype. Oh, that took me back. back. Like that, that probably honestly was like one of my major emotional tri- uh, tr- triggers in this movie is I was like, oh, God. <laughs> That's probably true. I heard that Skype ringtone so many times in my but, youth. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I really do think that it's, it is really important because I think that like we talk a lot about the way rom-coms are evolving right now and like how studios are trying to keep up with connecting to young audiences. And even though mm-hmm. this isn't like, this isn't a rom-com, it's a, you know, it's a romantic drama, but I do think that like, this is an example of, of the ways that you can tap into like a modern love story that feels authentic because there are still a lot of pitfalls, you know? I think that what's so beautiful about Nora and Hisung is like, there is this very deep connection and it's verbalized in the film through this Korean concept yeah. of inyun, this idea that mm-hmm. in every single life you would mean something to each other, which is so beautiful and romantic. But their whole relationship is completely theoretical. You know, their whole relationship exists when it's convenient for them, like to an extent, like they're able to Skype when they have time, they're able to connect with each other in this world where it's not fully developed. You don't fight because you're not really a couple. Every you love the idea Mm -hmm. of another person more than you really love them. And that's one of the reasons why I loved, even though it breaks your heart, that Nora and Hisung don't end up together at the yeah. end of the movie because she really has something real. And it is it is almost like I think what makes the, the ending so beautiful and so sad is I, I've, I've talked about this concept of like constantly growing up and the idea of like 
coming of age movies that take place later in life, where you feel like you're always kind of coming of age and you're always growing up. And I think with past lives, the ending of past lives is like one of those moments for Nora where, and, and for his song too, where they kind of accept that this thing that they were holding on to was kind of holding them back. And it's something that even though it's really painful, they have to let go of in order to move on and completely live their lives because it was never real and it's probably never going to be real. And if they're not going to take steps to make it real, then like it's, it's only serving to, to hurt them and, and d drive a wedge between their, their current relationships. And I mean, I, I think that it's, I think that you not to say that their, their love and their connection wasn't true and genuine, but I think that it's so easy when you have this like connection with a person and you don't actually have to do the work of being in a, in a relationship to kind of, idealize what your life with them would have been especially if you're with a partner and you have difficult like you know you have day-to-day -day struggles with your partner because then it's just like oh well you know the the way that I imagine my life with Sung isn't like this so yeah. I'm gonna leave you for him mm -hmm. I just think that it, that is it's like it's a hard thing to accept growing up and, and I when I say growing up I mean <laughs> growing up in your 30s but it is it's a hard yep, thing to yep. let go of and it's interesting you say that. I didn't think about that aspect of like the the fact that they only saw each other when it was convenient, and like yeah. the, they're really romanticizing the, the the romantic relationship of like what they they're not thinking about the everyday struggles. Um, yeah. Also, yeah. I think it was kind of like Nora's way of really, really trying to get uh, like keep that duality of her identity, right? Yes. As like a Korean American. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, Hyesun represents the Korean part of her. And I think as someone who, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not a American yet, but I've lived here for like, what, seven years now. And it's always that constant struggle where you're not, like I'm Nepalese. So it's it's always that struggle of like, you're not Nepalese enough or you're not, you know, you're not American now. Because back home, if I go, everybody says you're an American now. And you act like an mm -hmm. American. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm like a Nepalese. So it's kind of like, there's always this constant struggle. So I think, for her, Sun represents that ease. He's he's that childhood that she's had, right? Like in Korea, and she's it's her way of like saying that I'm Korean American. Yeah. I'm not. Mm. I'm not just American. I'm not. I'm still holding on to that past. So I think a lot of that her uh, trying to that just that relationship itself is, I think, her way of holding on to that. I think. But. No, absolutely. I think I think it was beautifully represented in like in being like kind of like what we were talking about earlier where like it's kind of both symbolic and literal in that like he is this like Korean ideal of masculinity that she like has so much fondness for because of the cultural ties that she has and he makes her feel more you know more connected to her cultural heritage but also it's you know he is her connection to the little girl that she used to be in Korea mm -hmm. And that version of herself that, you know, was so successful and, you know, competitive and fun. And like, it, I think it's I think it's beautiful because it, it ties so many things in together and allows her. I do think that that's kind of part of the sadness, too, is like kind of accepting that she's not, you know, she 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 is a Korean American, but she's going to she lives in New York. She's not going anywhere. That part of her life like that, the little girl that she was, there are things that she had to leave behind that. Part of it you get to carry with you. But I love the conversation that she has with Arthur where she's saying, like, when I'm with him, 
he's so Korean. It makes me feel more Korean, but it also makes me feel less Korean. Like it was such an interesting conversation about like her own identity politics, you know? And she will never have that sort of intimacy with her husband because remember he says that even when you dream, uh, like when you talk in your sleep, you speak in Korean and I can never, like he's learning, sure, but he's never going to have access to that part of her life. He's never going to learn where she came from. It's a completely different background. So, yeah. And also, I think, in a way, because if, if, I don't know if I'm making this up, but if this was mentioned, but she says that every time she used to cry, like Nora used to cry, Sun would just stare at her. And it would make her feel seen. And here, too. and, you know, she moved, and now in America, where, like, nobody gives us shit. If you cry, yeah. you know, you, you stop eventually, but there's nobody. So I feel like even in that sense, she had that person who just got her, who just saw her and who gave a shit in a way. So I feel like that was just so beautifully just shown. It, uh, that movie is... You guys are making me so much more media literate. The ending <laughs> means so much more to me now that like when she's sobbing and like going right into his arms. Um, and you're right. She does mention that he like just would stare at her when she was sobbing before. Yeah. She had like yeah. never really cried. And then she finally cries at the end. Like she really lets it go and she yeah. has someone to like to fall yeah. into. Somebody um, gave a fuck. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> I loved how I also I loved how vulnerable Arthur was. Like I it was such a beautiful portrayal of like a relationship with, you know, a man who's willing to to first of all, he clearly was not intimidated by her success by any means. And especially considering that they met in a writing workshop and they're so they clearly have such a collaborative and helpful, like not competitive relationship. And I think it's so funny that I mean, obviously this is based on to a certain extent, Celine Song's own life and her her and her real husband are both writers. He's writing this, I can't remember which movie he's writing the script for right now. Um, but it's so funny to me that that's like, it's like, it's like so, so oh, based wow. in reality. Um, yeah. But yeah, he had this, this beautiful tenderness of like, you know, wanting to, to be able to connect with her on every single level, which I think is just, it is, it is very, um, American I think this idea of like being able to like almost consume someone with your love I think the the idea of partnership and love in this country is very like you only need one person you need the love of your life and that's yeah. that's the person that you should be able to go to for everything but it was nice to see that in like a not kind of a toxic way and just a very much like I love every part of you kind of way yeah yeah. Arthur and real life Arthur better than me. I think I read the. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! I could never. I could never. Well, never. <laughs> Nora is better than me because the moment Hasan came, it would have been over for oh me. And Arthur. <laughs> when poor Arthur was like, "Are you attracted to him?" I was like, I was "Please like, yep. don't ask me. This is who we were talking she, about." <laughs> she was being so honest too. I was like, "You could lie. You could lie." <laughs> remember lying make something up say well he doesn't really meet korean beauty standards or something like make you make something up no, i would I mean, I, that would be divorce for me like i'd be like i'm out i'm, I'm not strong enough for this i love it i love it in the movie but no yeah i was reading about how like um celine song she was in a bar and this that first scene kind of happened in real life and she was like looking out and people were looking oh. at her and her husband and her childhood sweetheart talking in a bar and she was like, I, I bet I could come up with a movie about this. You know, how people come oh, up with wow. ideas. 
and uh, um i was just thinking like the real life arthur i don't know his name um he's really a strong dude i think i'd yeah. like to to go through that and then um also have to live through it again Right, he has to. I bet he I... sat down in the premiere and was watching them. <laughs> watching everyone love this movie. Um, shout out to that guy, Justin uh, Karitskis is his name. Uh-huh. Justin Karitskis. I'm just. I'm the Google. He's he's a very he's a cutie. He's a cutie. Oh my gosh, he wrote Challengers. That's what it was because people oh. were saying I would ask if Celine. I saw a tweet where somebody said I would ask if Celine's song and. Justin uh, <gasps> Karitskis wanted Wait, to want a third that, in their relationship. Yeah. <laughs> considering she wrote Past Lives and he wrote Challengers, I think I know the answer. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this is getting interesting. Yeah, I mean, apparently, <laughs> I I wonder if this is their, like, because you know how Sofia Coppola and Spike Jones have her and Lost in Translation, and it's like they're two sides yeah. of the same ending of a marriage? I'm going to go into Ooh. Challengers with some preconceived ideas right. now. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh Same my here. god. But no, some I... deleted scenes in past lives that we yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like release, to see that. Release All three the of cut. them were really hot. So. <laughs> exactly. Uh no, yeah, I definitely I definitely would not be built for that. I, yeah. I I have played that game. Have you guys ever played that game where you're like out in public and you're like wondering? Oh yeah. I, yeah. I used to work in a restaurant, a nice restaurant. <laughs> So like, By the way, what we're saying is that we played the game where you wonder what people's relationships are. Oh, 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 like, okay. Would they like, be our third? I just want to make that clear. <laughs> oh, I was thinking of an actual game, and I was like, oh. To be clear, what? I'm not ruling out that second option. Right, right, right. But that's just not what we're talking about right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for explaining, Michael. I really appreciate you on there. But no, I, I used to work in a high-end restaurant, so one of our favorite games, the servers and like all of us servers would be like, boyfriend or uh, girlfriend or daughter that was a very oh. popular one and then just generally yeah. like what's their deal <laughs> right yeah. siblings are dating that siblings yeah. are dating exactly tiny, tiny core i used to do that a lot oftentimes of the answers surprise you i will yeah. sometimes it's both no yeah. <laughs> you never know, I didn't you never know. alabama but you know i'm sure <laughs> no i yeah i really do i, I also think i wanted to mention the um cinematography in this film oh my god because i loved i loved so much of it one of my one of my favorite shots first of all i love the use of so many wide shots and Mm -hmm. when there were conversations happening so the the use of cuts was very sparing and i love that celine song lets you kind of like live in those moments that's it's clearly the the movie's not in a rush there's this just kind of weight to a lot of the conversational scenes. And I, I feel like the use of these like wide shots and the wide panning shots just really helps emphasize just the the tension. Yeah. And the 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 waiting and the sense of the sense of like something in the air, you know? Very fly on the wall. Yes. Because you're kind of seeing just these two like when they first meet and they hug, they you show it from like a really wide shot and it's almost like you're in that crowd watching these two people meet for the first like you know after so many years it yeah. feels almost like voyeuristic like you're really looking at these definitely people. um i loved 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 the scene in the bar where the three of them mm-hmm. are talking and then eventually after a while uh arthur is completely out of the shot and it's just two of them talking and mm-hmm. he's yeah. it's just so perfectly shown that hi, uh how isolated he is because at the end of the day like the culture thing right he's never going to understand 
when they start speaking Korean, he's going to be isolated from that conversation. Yeah. And it's such a great visual representation. And I saw somebody um, on TikTok say that if they wrote past lives, they would have done that scene differently where uh, they would have uh, Arthur leave that conversation. And I was like, you're kind of missing the entire point. Like, yeah. you know, that's literally, I was kind of pissed off, but then she deleted it. So you know what? My job, I didn't say anything, but. <laughs> no, I, I think, yeah, I completely, I was thinking that too when I was watching the most recent time is, I, I think the scene you're talking about, it's like a very slow zoom, right? Mm-hmm. It's like zooming in very slowly yeah. until eventually. Yeah. And then I think, I think at some point it does cut to where from the different angle where you can see them from like the back of where the other people were looking at yeah. them from. And it's just Sung and Nora. And I do, I love the way that that transition happens to be like, you know, this is very clearly they're capitalizing. And, you know, in the beginning of the scene, Nora turns to Arthur a couple times to translate or say, he's talking about you, but she gets yeah. more and more sparse with what she's actually translating. And I do love that you, I love that moment where Nora's like in the bathroom or something and you have that moment between Sung and Arthur. And it's almost like, he, like Sung tries to apologize and it's like, I'm sorry, yeah. we're speaking in Korean. And there was, there was a couple of shots of Arthur where he was like looking very sad and dejected and like clearly feeling mm-hmm. not just left out, but like feeling this connection between his mm-hmm. wife and this other man. And I do, I think that again, it's like, it's such a beautiful element to the story because even though you can see and like absolutely connect with Arthur's like sadness, obviously we've all couldn't be me. I would, I, I wish I was, I wish I was that good of a person. Like I would be making a fucking scene. It's so, it's (laughs) embarrassing, but like, it's so beautiful because again, it's like his, his need to be there for Nora, even when he can't really, he's not what, what she needs in that moment. He still just wants to be there with her and for her is so beautiful. And I love that scene afterwards with uh, Sung and Arthur where, you know, Sung even tries to apologize. And how can you even apologize for essentially yeah. saying, you know, like, I would have loved you if I could have in Korean to this yeah. guy's <laughs> wife sitting next to him. But Arthur is, of course, like, you know, I think it's more of a the situation is what it is kind of. It's not even like you don't need to apologize because this is I mean, I, I the maturity in this film truly it's, next yeah. level, like all yeah. of these people. They've gone to therapy. <laughs> For real. <laughs> like on another even, level. Even when Sung says to Nora at, at that scene when he says, you know, I didn't expect that liking your husband would hurt this much. Yeah. God, that line it's, just cuts right to the bone. Yeah. God, that's so painful. I, I know this isn't technically cinematography, but the the I'm gonna call it their date. When um, Nora Hae-sung walk around New York City and like yeah. there's like a merry-go-round or something, some sort of yeah. carousel. Um, and all throughout that scene, their first date, which was beautiful. Um, everyone in the background is coupled up and canoodling. I don't know. If, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, they're not that. I mean, they're close, obviously, because they're walking together. But there's like a space between them. And they're wearing what I would call business casual clothes. <laughs> clothes yeah. Not like the most romantic thing. I love his backpack. Thing. Yeah. Right, so- the little the backpack. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got like, I don't know, a tote or something. Um, and just the like the separation between this incredibly romantic setting where other people are some of them are making out and some of them are just yeah. like cuddled up together. Um, and there is that gap because they what, they haven't seen each other in 25, 25 24 years or something like that. Um, there's really intentional choices uh from yeah. 
like you and you guys were mentioning the cinematography, but also the things in the background. Yeah. They were still the most intimate people in that entire crowd. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you have, did you guys see um, Greta Lee's Actors on Actors interview? Clips. No, clips. She I saw clips of it. She mentioned, um, I believe it was in that interview, where, where Celine Song had asked them, asked uh, Greta Lee and T.O.U., not to physically touch yeah. during the entire mm-hmm. shoot. And it's interesting because Greta Lee said, you know, that she's not a method actor. And at first when she said it, it was one of those things that was like, is this really necessary? Like we're actors. <laughs> but that moment when they actually hug for the first time, which I think is like when they're saying goodbye, I don't think they actually yeah. touch at all before that point. It was, she said that it was just like a deeply emotional experience because they had spent all this time together and they hadn't actually touched each other at all up until that point which i i thought yeah. was so fascinating yeah she um i think it because i saw the tiktok clip and she says something along the lines of like um not touching makes it more intimate and she was against um uh, talking to what's his name andrew uh, scott. Hot priest yeah yeah um, andrew scott and i remember him saying like yeah 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 but then i watched all of us strangers and they were fucking so it's kind of <laughs> they they were going to t- listen. I love all of the strangers so much. I'm so sad that it didn't get into Best Picture. Like just yeah. selfishly because I wanted to talk about it. On, I mean, I, I'll probably still talk about it on the podcast at some point. But I love that all the strangers is actually like really good foil to past lives because yeah. it's. I feel like it's equally romantic. It's so beautiful and touching and sad. But it's like it's like touch touch as this one is like the way that the space between you can create this beautiful tension that almost like is like magnetic and draws you to each other. And I feel like all the strangers is the exact opposite. That's like what like the the lengths through which touch is allows you to connect with another person and it doesn't have to be just physical. It can actually bring you together. It's yeah. They're both such beautiful movies. I love (laughs) it so much. (laughs) Um, Cinematography though. I think it was snubbed. Do y'all think, I, I think it was snubbed. I think I think this was such a crazy. So when this year, when I think about snubs, I really do think like watching this film again. I really do the, my favorite performance in this film. I love both Greta Lee and Tiu, and frankly, I love um, John Man Mangello. I think his name no, is Sagaras. Uh, the guy who plays Arthur. I think his name yeah. is Magaro. No, yeah, Magaro. Mangello. John Magaro. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we we were close, uh, but no, I think they're I think they're all three really good. But my favorite performance is Tou. Yeah, and I really do think that he. I think that was a genuine snub for me. Honestly, some of the biggest yeah. snubs of the year were Tou, Andrew Scott, and of course Charles Melton, which I mentioned in the last podcast. Yeah. But those three performances were just so exquisite to me, and the cinematography one is hard because this year in particular, I feel like there was a lot of like really big prestige projects that of course were gunning for cinematography i do think that it should have at the very least been very high up on the short list um but uh, yeah i i I love the cinematography in this movie one of my favorite shots is when they're on the date and they do a quick shot from up on that like art piece installation looking down on the kids there's just so many creative choices that really help to emphasize the themes of any given scene and i just yeah it's I do think, especially considering this is her directorial debut, astounding artistic choices from yeah. Celine Song all throughout. But you know why I think it's snubbed? It's because a lot of time for me, like good cinematography is so much more than like just looking pretty. If it like, it enhances the 
story. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. that should be the one that people uh, sort of prop up. Because uh, for me, there were like two snubs. At least, I mean, one was not even in the co- uh, contention, I think. But I think uh, Monica was one of the most beautiful films I have seen last year. Like every shot is just a painting. So I feel yeah. like those two movies were probably not uh, high up on these like shortlists because they're not out there. With yeah. you know, it's thing, especially it's same with the acting. Uh, yeah. you know, people w- will say, "Oh, Greta Lee, you know, snub is not snub, or like Theo Yu is not snub because it's not like a monologue performance. It's not Bradley Cooper doing whatever this was." And so it's <laughs> which was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. So, and I think that's where the discourse last year with Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett also came about, where it's like, yeah, one is a performance and one is, you know, being that person. So I feel like anytime somebody's doing too much, people are like Oscar, and I just yeah. roll my eyes. <laughs> no, I think you're actually spot on. And I did look up the cinematography nominees just to refresh my memory, and it is Oppenheimer and uh, Hoyta van Hoytema, which I I'm uh, maybe it's Otje. Um, I think he's actually Dutch. I always think that oh. this is like a Hispanic name, but it's mm. I think he's Dutch, but he might be mixed. I'm not entirely sure. But Hoytia van Hoyt tema which i'm 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 so sorry if i'm saying that incorrectly um poor things right uh robbie ryan el conde ed lackman maestro matthew libitech and i do normally like matthew libitech and killers of the flower moon rodrigo uh prieto and i do think that i would say snubbed seeing that list because i do i i nobody saw el conde but i loved it i love pablo mm-hmm. lorraine and i do think it did have some beautiful cinematography um but i i think you're absolutely right nirpom and i think that the choices in this film are so complementary to the emotional weight of the story that not only is it beautiful to look at, but it's it's a significant achievement in in storytelling and what the art of cinema is about. So yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say you're right. I'm gonna say snub. Decided. <laughs> there yeah, there you have it. You heard it here first, folks. Um, so I guess with that, we should move into the maestro portion yes. of this discussion. Speaking of snubs um i think maestro is the is the culprit for a lot of snubs this year (laughs) i've let me just let me just start by saying i haven't really participated in a ton of the maestro discussion online because i've said before i am a really big believer in like i i i love supporting artists i love when someone is brave enough to make something and i don't I don't really think like I don't blame Bradley Cooper for like wanting an Oscar. I don't I don't blame him for for that. I just I I don't I I don't enjoy being vicious to someone who put something out that they really were passionate about and they loved. That being said, I do think that art criticism is important and I I I did I I have a lot of criticisms about Maestro. <laughs> um and I I don't want any of this to come off as being mean-spirited. But I do think that, you know, I think we all have a lot of thoughts. And I think it's, yeah. again, just laying the groundwork because if you liked <laughs> Maestro, that's totally fine. A lot of people did. It was nominated for a lot of awards. But I think that there are, you know, art criticism is important. Yeah. Maybe not as important as making art. But, you know, <laughs> we got to do something here. You know, yeah. we're wasting time until we die. So <laughs> let's <laughs> let's shut up Maestro a little bit. <laughs> And just, but in a, you know, in a way that says we also respect art. 
Yeah. <laughs> Smoking as someone who's definitely gone viral several times. <laughs> Can you tell? I've been burned before. Been Let burned me start before. by saying something positive. Okay. okay. I have two positives. I think the cinematography, black and white cinematography was oh. pretty, I will say. Yeah. Uh, so it uh, wasn't snubbed well, at the Oscar. It, well, it was not snubbed. It wasn't no, whatever. Past lives was snubbed. Deserved. Monica was snubbed. Deserved. It did Maybe not. not top five, but yeah, definitely maybe, good. But it was definitely top okay. ten. Let's say that. Yeah. Um, All right. Because I think <laughs> some of the shots really reminded me of like noir, like old black and white movies. Yeah. Just the way everything was framed and everything. So I, I will give them praises for that. And um, another one is some of the transitions I really like. For example, in the beginning where uh, him and What's-Her-Face first meet and he grabs her and they run and they enter the Mm -hmm. big venue. I really like that. I really like the shot from above and they transition into the big stage. Stuff like that I liked. But then everything else we're going to talk about. Those are my praises. (laughs) What were your initial thoughts, Mike? Wait, I thought you liked two things, and I think that was just one. But um, oh no, the transitions <laughs> and the cinematography. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like, damn, we can't even find two things. It's <laughs> technically two. It's technically two. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. It was two. I'm just dumb, and I didn't realize that. So that's what it was. Um, my initial. We're going with what I liked. I also liked some of the transitions. <laughs> some of the transitions. You know what? I'm gonna come out and say it. I think. Um, I think I was struck by, I know this is not the most, the best type of criticism or whatever, but I think I was struck by how bored I was, I was watching the movie. Yeah. I have to be honest with you. Yeah. I thought, I thought I was going to like this movie a lot um, because honestly, if I'm being honest with you, one of my favorite genres is white people talking in different rooms. I love that. <laughs> I love movies where it's just white people talking in different rooms. This has a lot of it. And um I, I just, <laughs> and then it just didn't connect f- for me. And maybe we'll find out why during this discussion. Um, I think there was like a lot of unmet ambition, actually. Like, I think they were trying to do a lot. That's very clear. But yeah. for me, it didn't connect. I'll start there. That, those were my initial thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I definitely agree with both of those things. I think that I, I appreciated the ambition of this movie I do think that it was definitely trying to do a lot of things and I I think that that is a big issue for me is that I feel like there of course there was never going to be enough time for it to be all the things that it clearly wanted to be Um, something that that occurred to me um, upon watching and we won't elaborate on this right now because it's a it's a bigger point but the main takeaway that I had on my second watch, because I did watch it a second time for this wow. podcast, this is my commitment to you guys. Um, did you like it more I, or worse the second time? There were, okay, there were elements that I was able to appreciate the second time that I wasn't able to appreciate the first time. I think because, similarly to you, Mike, my first time I was just kind of shocked the whole time because it had been getting buzz. And by the time I watched it when it first came out, but there had already been some discourse about it being not good and there were people who loved it. So I went in knowing that it was at least buzzy. People were talking about it. And I was it was kind of like a, I was shocked at how much I didn't like it. It kind of reminded me of um, the Nicole Kidman biopic 
from a couple oh, years yeah. ago. Being the Ricardos. Mm. The Lu- yeah. And- I, I thought that that being the Ricardos was like literally the worst movie I saw that year. And I was. Oh, wow. Th- You're saying that I in front of it. Nicole Kidman. I all respect to you you have such an illustrious career but i hated that movie so much and thought that it offered no artistic merit whatsoever i couldn't believe that it was nominated for anything um and i'm so sorry that i'm saying this so bluntly but um (laughs) but yeah i it kind of reminded me of that where i was just kind of like really i was like why are people even i was the first time i watched my story i genuinely was just kind of shocked because i didn't think that it was of the quality or caliber that would that it, of the attention that it had garnered so yeah. far. Um, and the second time I was able to kind of appreciate some things, but overall I still, the big takeaway that I had was this movie is like, if you made the, like a Christopher Nolan flashback montage of the dead wife into a whole feature <laughs> length film. Like that's, I was like, okay, I guess that's what we're doing now. And I, right. I, I really, I have a lot of technical problems with this movie because I do think that there's a lot to talk about just in terms of like the legacy of Leonard Bernstein or Bernstein Mm -hmm. and the complications of being a gay man in this time. And I feel like there was, I also just like the love of the music. I feel like if you're going to make a biopic about an artist, I never at any point felt his passion or need for the music like really illustrated to me. It was talked about a lot. Like I love music i love people he gave a lot of interviews in the movie where he was talking to people about how much he loved music but i never felt that come through but ultimately my big issue with this movie is a trend that i've seen with a lot of biopics about great men is that it's a biopic about a great man and the core the heart of the movie is it's a biopic about a great man and the strong woman who he owes his legacy to and I just feel like that as a genre rubs me the wrong way because I feel like not only it's like, first of all, if you want to tell a story about a woman, tell a story about a woman. Why does it have to be, oh, this great man had a really great, strong partner who supported him (laughs) through all of it. And she was a martyr and she died. And he he was his life was never the same without her. It's like, just tell her story if that's what you want to do, because she's not I'm sure Felicia Bernstein was so much more than just like a cuckolded wife who had a gay husband or maybe by husband. I think the jury's still out on that one. I actually have a lot of to say about that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk about that, but yeah, it's, that was an issue to me where I just kept being like, why? I mean, cause seriously with like, I felt like it was kind of the case with like Oppenheimer two and like Napoleon. And I just keep seeing this where it's like, Oh, like we're all, isn't she great? Isn't she wonderful? She was there for him. And it's like, that way you're not telling his story and you're not telling her story so who is this for is it just pandering like i don't understand i don't like it i agree but don't you get the fact that she was the maestro (laughs) she was the (laughs) she was the maestro she was the uh, real agent argyle I mean, exa- I mean, you're right. When you put it that way. Yeah, we, doesn't that change? Someone's got to defend Maestro on this podcast. Right? <laughs> Poor Bradley Cooper. I do. I, you know, despite that horrible decision with the nose prosthetic, oh, what the hell? Oh, God. About? Also, her playing a Latina? Yeah. What was but that? 
this movie like you know how the swifties like tried to cancel jake gyllenhaal because they were like he's this movie got the whole internet back on jake gyllenhaal's side because they were like (laughs) why did because he wanted it was like his he's a jewish man and it was like his lifelong dream to make this biopic and bradley cooper stole it and put on a big old i didn't know that (laughs) really it was big mouse every time they did a close-up i kept getting reminded of uh for the Virginia Woolf movie where Nicole Kidman won an Oscar for a fake <laughs> yes. news. I was like, okay, if that hap- this happens again this year, I'm going to walk out. Love Nicole Kidman. <laughs> amazing movies. But that's the movie they choose to give her an Oscar. It's pissed me off. Well, Better than being the Ricardos. <laughs> I was, yeah, for real. I was just having this discussion about how if you're too pretty, Hollywood wants you to go ugly for your Oscar. Yeah. So I guess that's what they... Nicole was just too mm-hmm. pretty to win it for anything that she didn't... They had to give her something. Yeah, I, mean, I like she to was pretend. Still gorgeous, even with the nose. But, yeah, you know, I like to pretend she won for the others that year because it came out the same year. So, oh my god, yeah, she won for that. The others is <laughs> a, such a good call out. I think they just added that to the Criterion collection this year. Uh, no way, they should. I think they Criterion did. needs more. You know what? Movies. Yeah, I just got a flashback of seeing that Barnes and Noble. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think they did. Such a good movie. Such a good movie. But yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the themes you guys want to talk about in this in this uh, in this I... movie. Okay, so I'm, first of all, I'm confused whether, because I don't know the real Mr. Bernstein. Was he gay or bi? So from what I, from the just cursory research I've done, it seems that people are kind of like Freddie Mercury, where people are, it's it's disputed. Okay. Because, you know, apparently he did sleep with a lot of women and he was married and like he talked lovingly about, you know, his wife for his whole life. Um, but it, it is one of those like complicated things where it's like, because of the time that they were living in, you know, was it compad? Was it compulsory heteronormativity oh. or was it, you know, genuine? And I like, as a bisexual myself, I'm like, you know, obviously I'm not trying to participate in bi erasure, <laughs> but I do think that it's like a very complicated issue when you're talking about historical accounts, because obviously there was a lot of social stigma that caused people to make the decisions that they made. So yeah. I don't. I don't even if even if there was I mean I don't know if he's spoken about it um but I I don't I believe that the answer is we don't really know. Okay. And so I think the movie does lean into like his other even outside of Felicia his other relationships with women to kind of suggest that he really she really was the love of his life and he really was bisexual but he also had this, you know, I philandering feel like- nature. This is this movie is a prime 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 example, and I'm not I'm not a, someone who says that gay people should be the only one playing gay roles. I don't think that. I think for trans people it's different. I think trans people should play trans roles, uh, yeah. but gay people it's fine. Like Matt Bomer can play a straight man. I don't give a fuck, or like vice <laughs> versa. But it's the movie is very indicative of um, there were no queer people behind the scenes. It's so obvious mm. because here's this man. Um, in that era, queer, right, being gay or bi, and his probably his a lot of his identity and all his like a lot of his action was sort of informed by his identity, right? Like yeah. he, his gayness or like his bi-ness or whatever was one that was influencing his decisions, his his relationships. And this movie is just weirdly, weirdly, weirdly sexless. And I think I think it's it's such a yeah. It's it's a bigger culprit. Like this was worse than Bohemian Rhapsody because at least that was like you know what we're gonna touch that like for one scene we're gonna have a him sh- like a little relationship, but this one was just 
just so and i'm not saying this like a sleazy person oh they should have been fucking in there but it's it's it was so so sexless that i was almost scared to even open that can of worms like his sexuality and i just i did not like that and it just it erases that one part where it's like people in that era of gay people who were surrounded by other gay people they were fucking that because yeah. that's one thing gay people love to do is have sex so it's, well, it's they, they made sure to show like you know at the end him in the club and you know the scenes yeah. with him doing lines of coke and it's like it's not like they wanted to shy away from like the you know more uh illicit elements of his life it's so this the lack of the actual intimacy and physical touch felt very obvious yeah you know and in the beginning like the opening scene where it's dark and he gets the call and then he opens the curtains to reveal that oh my god he was sleeping with a man it it was used as like a oh look it's a plot twist but we don't know about him like anything about him it wasn't like that happened after he met uh, Felicia for us yeah. to be like you know gasp oh my god he was sleeping with a man who has a woman at his home yeah so I like stuff like that or when he's kissing the other guy and she sees him kissing him the way shot too. It's they did not kiss. It was like yeah. shot in a weird oh, way. Oh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and that—that yeah. that is where I think the problem comes. Where like gay people should play gay people if you're not willing to go all the way. Like yeah. if if you choose to play a gay role, you should be fucking. I don't care. Or even just from behind the scenes, like having <laughs> someone involved with this film that had that kind of cultural touchstone. Yeah. Because I do think that like it felt it did feel very intentional and i also felt the way that like his all of all of his relationships with men aside from the like matt bomer character which was also not really it was almost it was shoved to the side so quickly in the beginning it yeah. wasn't ever really addressed but all of his subsequent relationships with men were treated like affairs like him yeah. being being infidelity like having being uh cheating on his wife you know and instead of like actually kind of addressing the complexities of having to be in the closet and like felicia has some conversations with him about like not talking about their daughter and like the rumors and stuff like yeah. that but it's it's still always spoken about as though like he's you know he's just cheating on his wife the woman that he loves and the complexities of having to be a closeted queer man in that time are never part of it it's always like well he's choosing himself and the music and his lust over his family which i felt like was a really diminishing way to look at someone that was was having to live that existence in that yeah. time you know very bad yeah it I no, I was just gonna say, like the I also really like stories of uh, like complicated marriages, um, and this didn't even meet up to those expectations either. I feel like uh, everything that was interesting, this is, again terrible criticism, but everything that was interesting was like not on screen. You know, like we were like yeah. in the I wish I was in the other room or something of what was going on. Um, <laughs> I don't necessarily know if I agree that everybody should have been fucking, but um, no, I, I meant like that. you know. <laughs> Just, I'm not saying like on screen or anything. I just meant like that sort of intimacy. Mike is coming that. out as a pure teen in this episode. Wow. Let's bring Hayes code back. Um, <laughs> well, I, <laughs> yeah, I just felt like, yeah, I, I think 
I, I again, I just wanted to be where like the interesting stuff was happening, even like his professional accomplishments. Like I didn't really, yes, I don't yeah. know, I don't know too much about him. If I'm being honest with you, like obviously he created a lot of great things, and I didn't even clearly know had a lot of different relationships that weren't just his wife. Um, and we didn't get nearly enough of that. Yeah, and it's a very long movie actually. So, um, well, there was as somebody <laughs> who knew nothing about Leonard Bernstein going in. Come, I still don't know anything yeah, about him. I, I have no idea. I can't name one thing that he yeah. d- composed or like conducted uh, that was meaningful. Like I, it's so true. Like he, the movie doesn't focus at all on the actual tangible achievements of his life or why he was so important. Yeah, like there's a lot of scenes of him scribbling on paper and giving interviews to people who are interested about his achievements, but like it's not. There's no moment in the film where I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, this guy was important or this guy was talented. I don't, I, it really did feel, and I know this is a a criticism that sucks because it does seem like Bradley Cooper cared a lot about this project, but it really, this is an issue I have when actors become directors Mm. and they also want to star in their projects is it feels like, of course, it becomes a means to an end. Of course, it becomes a vehicle for showcasing your best talents. And I felt like so many of the scenes in this movie were written just to give actors something to do that that would be that would garner praise because you look at like I just saw an interview with Jordan Peele where he was on Conan's podcast and he said you know Conan was like do you miss performing and Jordan Peele was like no like do you miss the spotlight and Jordan Peele was like no I just I feel like this is more interesting I feel like I've reached this phase of my career where I want to do something that really matters to me and this is what's interesting to me right now and I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to stay in the spotlight or wanting to continue to act even if you get into directing but I think specifically when you're writing and directing a project for yourself of course you're going to fall into those pitfalls, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and it's just, it becomes like a little disingenuous of like what the actual point is of the movie, you know? I agree. Yeah. I kept calling it like reciting lines in a mirror acting. That's what I (laughs) always feel. (laughs) It's like, everyone's like, how do I bring the best perform? That's a dumb way. Obviously you want to bring your best performance, but you want to mean like the most over the top. Yeah. I also hated the accents because Bradley Cooper sounded like Fred Armisen in the Dunius, uh, Dunis uh, sketch. Y'all remember that? And I'm yes. Dunis. And Fred, um, Fred Armisen goes like, thank you. Thank you. I said, the mad old sister. <laughs> he sounded so much like that. And I couldn't get past that. And then Carrie Mulligan was doing like an old Hollywood kind of, I don't know what it was. Transatlantic. She was trying so hard. Mm. And I just couldn't. Their argument felt so forced. Because both of them were like forcing that accent. It yeah. just did not. Fl- and I look at the same thing in Anatomy of a Fall, which is, oh has like an incredible right. argument scene that, feel- and they're both speaking in a second language. Yeah. So that's harder and it feels natural. And I kept you know looking at this. Yeah. It's crazy. Forced. What's incredible about Anatomy of a Fall is it is another good example of a movie that's about something entirely different. Yeah. It's about the subsequent trial. It's about women on trial. It's about misogyny. It's about identity politics of being a woman and how it's often weaponized against you. Yeah. The relationship portion of the film is secondary because for the vast majority of the film, the husband character is already, you know, yeah. is already dead. Um, but just that one scene 
is a better like it's such an incredible relationship dynamic and the way the scene plays out is so authentic and visceral and incredible and that's exactly like i feel like if you were going like i i do hate criticizing movies and saying like i'm mad that it wasn't this other thing but in the case of maestro it just it didn't commit to being like everything felt secondary to me yeah his the emphasis on his music felt secondary the emphasis on his identity and his sexuality felt secondary the relationship was like at the core of the film. But like you said, Mike, I was never even really that invested in the relationship part of it. It didn't, there was nothing really grabbing me to that. And honestly, when we were having, when the best actress conversation was happening and yeah. everybody was like, you know, oh, Margot doesn't deserve it. She, you know, she wasn't snubbed. It wasn't that good. I love Carrie Mulligan and I think that she's given so many great performances and I always love seeing her nominated, but yeah. I would not have nominated her for this. I think it's a very one note kind of character and a kind of performance we've seen a lot she's very good in it but a lot oh. of actors are very good <laughs> i mean i you know i mean like not i don't know if i heard Neuropalms. well <laughs> she's good i want to hear you defend carrie mulligan because i do love her i do love her <laughs> i don't think anyone will actually i think <laughs> Well, someone will out there, but she should have won for an education. That's what she should have yeah, won. Also, I find it very because Annette Benning and Kerry Mulligan were the two sneaks in that category. Yeah, I think let's, so too. Let's say that, and it's the fact that both of them are nominated. I think sixth time and eighth time for both of them. If I'm, if, I, I feel like I might be wrong there, but they've been nominated a bunch of times and have not won. So yeah. I feel like you're going to nominate them again for this, you know, sort of mid. I hate that word, but mid performance just so they have another nomination, why not give that to somebody who deserves it, who would actually help, it would actually help them in the career. Like Greta oh my God. herself, yes. Oscar nominated actress, rather than Carrie Mulligan be called six times Oscar loser. Isn't they no. giving Diane Warren that Oscar? <laughs> and it's like charity at this point. I don't even think she posted a video this time. Congratulations, <laughs> Academy. She does, she doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> no, it's so true, and I'm so glad you brought that up because this is something I bring up every year when people say the Oscars aren't important anyways because the thing is, is like, this is how I felt, and this is this was an issue that I had with the conversation about Barbie as well, yeah. which I was like, I, I don't necessarily, like, I'm not, even in my Oscar reaction video, I said that Greta Lee was a, a more significant snub to me than Margot Robbie, and... You know, as much as I do think that, like, I would have nominated Greta for Best Director, there's a lot of women and other people in general. Like, in my original, like, wish list, I would have loved to see Hayao Miyazaki get a nomination, yeah. but they'll never nominate an animation director. Yeah. But when people say that the Oscars aren't important or, or whatever, it's frustrating to me because I do think that, like, when we have these conversations about, like, only one woman in the Best Director category, I, what I struggle to communicate to people about awards season is that... There is no world in which these are like the best movies of the year that are being awarded. It's it's about who you choose to recognize and how you choose to recognize achievement. Because even I hate making the list of like my top tens and whatever, because I hate quantifying the value of art. I think that I loved yeah. Bottoms as yeah. much as I loved, you know, Past Lives in a lot of ways. And so to rank them and have Bottoms, you know, be in my top 15, but not my top 10, you know, it's like that's art serves different purposes. And so I think like when we talk about the recognition side of awards, it's like, yes, a nomination would change Greta Lee's life. Just like last year, it would have changed Danielle Deadweiler's life, you know? And like, it is important and it does matter. And I also think that like the idea that, oh, well, like the objective bests are the one getting the nominations is so 
unimportant because yeah. the fact of the matter is if you look at like for example just taking women nominated for best director as an example we have almost a hundred years of men being nominated yeah dozens upon dozens upon dozens of men and literally eight women and so like you know when we have these conversations and it's like oh well if Justine, if you thought Greta should be in the conversation, who's going to replace her? The automatic assumption is she's going to replace Justine Triette. Yeah. It's like, I would love to see a year when we get all five you know, directors. And I don't think we need to have the conversation of, oh, well, Christopher Nolan and Scorsese yeah. are just better. Or like, and Jonathan Glazer did something incredible. Yes, they all absolutely did something incredible. But there are women who have also done something incredible. And yeah. You are not objectively correct when you say that, you know, Jonathan Glazer is more talented or more deserving. Yeah. I just think it's wild that we can't be like, the, the awards are for recognition. They are for saying this person deserves recognition. And as much as I loved Killers of the Flower Moon, and I'm not suggesting that Martin Scorsese shouldn't have been nominated or doesn't deserve to be nominated. But I'm just saying, when we consciously use our ability to to provide this recognition and we consistently say it's the same old people that deserve recognition. Like what are within what's the fucking point of all this? I you know, it, it also helps. I feel like sometimes the award itself can also be, and I h- hate saying like political, but also can be like a very political thing, um, which yeah. is good in my opinion, because like, for example, this year I keep saying it, but Trace like said, I know you just yes. recently watched that movie. And I feel like She's an so Oscar nomination for her could have meant so much because she's a trans woman and it would have Mm -hmm. kind of not erased, but it would have made like the history of cis men, cis women playing trans characters and winning an Oscar like Hilary Swank, Jared Leto always found at the scene of crime. Um, All these people, uh, it would have like not erased it, but made it more impactful, her, her nomination. But what happens? She's not even in that conversation. And I think part of the reason is, to blame is Academy and the, those, the people that are doing these roundtables, the people that are talking about these, who are making these shortlists, the critics, because if they uplift these voices, the people will get nominated. Look at Michelle Yeoh. Literally, yeah. the public mm. support is the one that actually, I think it's the public support that led her to win. Because yeah. no way in hell, if the people hadn't seen that public support, they would have went and voted Michelle Yeoh on their own whim. They would not have. Yeah. It would have been Kate Blanchett. So I think it's all of us that I think has have to sort of work to change this. And then only I think the Academy will also change because right now it's just bad. It's terrible. Yeah. And we get angry every year, but this is to every critic I, watching. Just, you know, think of it. One of my least favorite rebuttals whenever we get to Oscar discourse is always like, don't you think it's just like the lack of these things being made or whatever? Um, I'll give you a concrete example. I was talking about um, Lily Gladstone getting nominated and I got a specific comment that was like, well, how many, you know, how many Native Native American actors are there really like making movies or getting roles? Like there's just not going to be that many people. So of course there's just like one person this entire time. Yeah. And that's kind of the problem. Like yeah. <laughs> that's the actual problem. The problem is not necessarily like these many people get nominated or don't. It's like how many movies were actually produced yeah. or directed by women last year? How many actors were trans in prominent roles? Like that it kind of like doesn't exist. That's the yeah. real criticism a lot of time. Well, from my perspective anyway. Yeah. And when you award those kind of performance, people think of it as a viable source for critical and commercial success. Like, for example, yeah. when Crazy Rich Asians did so good, 
there was like a slew of Asian-led movies. Everybody yeah. wanted an Asian mm-hmm. in their movie. Granted, it was only East Asians, but they still wanted them. And after yeah. like Michelle Yeoh's win, we've seen Greta Lee as like another viable option for like best actress. I feel like it's it's always that like you have to let people have their moment so that other people can also follow along those footsteps. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. And right Absolutely. now, what we have four out of five uh, best actress nominees white. Exactly. It's just everyone in the best director category, the one woman and yeah. all the men, white. White. You know? And that's that is such an important part of the conversation too. That's one of the reasons why the Barbie discourse is so frustrating because it's like I want to be able to talk about snubs and I want to be like like my last episode, like I had mentioned before, it happened before any of the Barbie discourse. And so none of the conversation was about, you know, any of the online discourse. It was just like this conversation talking about the technical and artistic merits of the film and why I think it was deserving. But if I had recorded that episode after that discourse, I would have absolutely wanted to mention that like none of this is happening in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And someone like Greta Gerwig, as much as I really respect her, is one of the most privileged and recognized directors working today. Not female directors, just directors, period. She's directed three solo films and all three of them have been nominated for Best Picture. And, yeah. you know, of course she got a Best Director nomination, one of the one of the eight women for Lady Bird. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a career record that like no directors have. Um, so like it's, it, it does come off. Like I'm obviously someone who talks about this kind of thing all the time and, and was a huge supporter of Justine Triette and Celine Song all year long. Both of those movies are higher on my personal ranking than Barbie. Um, despite the fact that I think all three of them are great and I love as a little personal win for me, all three of my favorite movies directed by women this year were in the best picture nominees. So I was like, yes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such an important part of the conversation because the representation thing matters so much. And because we can't just talk about these things in a vacuum. I think the, you know, discourse is always swinging back and forth to extremes. And it does frustrate me seeing people largely trying to now say that like the Barbie movie was actually bad in all regards. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I mean, and Twitter's going to Twitter. So like, <laughs> Yep. You can't really control that. They think past like, lives is bad, so we can't really... Oh my god, literally yeah. everybody now is like, it's actually not that good. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, I wish punching yeah, people was allowed. But yeah, it's important that, like, this, this whole conversation has to facilitate the an intersectional lens and has to acknowledge that, you know, this, this has happened historically. The more marginalized you fall on the spectrum, the, the worse it is for that given demographic. And... Even though, you know, women are still vastly underrepresented, the women that are representing us are largely white women. And that's absolutely something white that has answers. to be talked about. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Look, Maestro, we were thinking Maestro was not going to give us some interesting conversation, but look what it did. I, yeah. Some some good came out of it. <laughs> I was actually, you know, I was really shocked when you paired these two movies together when I got the message. I'm like, what do, because I hadn't watched Past Lives. I, thought, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know mean, you didn't like Maestro. <laughs> but actually I think they kind of do. Like there's yeah. um they're both about like a complicated marriage in a way, right? Like yeah. where third parties come in or something. In Maestro's case, it's a lot of third parties. <laughs> they're both like people in the professional, like professional artists in yeah. some way. Artists, yeah. They're both like living dual lives in a in a way. In past lives, she's bicultural and maestro, yeah. he's bisexual. Like there's <laughs> something there. <laughs> They're, yeah, I think they have a lot in common. Yeah, you um, know what? You know, I thought 
when you sent the message, I thought, okay, Past Lives is my favorite movie. I think Maestro is uh, Mike's favorite movie. That's what I thought. I was like, oh, okay. And like, <laughs> <laughs> That's Mike has to come out as a Maestro truther now. <laughs> <laughs> Mikestro. Yeah, that's I'm getting that. <laughs> Can you imagine? No, it's actually so funny to me, Mike, because you're like the one person, I think I've told you this before, but you're like the one person on the internet that like I I have a lot of friends that do this now and I have a lot of friends that love movies, but very often I'll disagree with my friends because I have very mm. unpopular opinions, I've learned. Um, but you are like the one person where like, it's like 95% of the time, maybe even more. If you like something, I'm like, okay, I'm, our tastes like align. It's yeah, so it's much freaky. Freakish. Yeah. Yeah. It can be freaky when I like, I'll see something and go, oh, I bet like, I, I bet the review on Megan, well, J Stoops pages, like <laughs> positive or negative. I'll allow yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> Megan Stroke. Um, yeah, no, it actually is kind of freaky. Or like, if you like something, I'm like, oh, I'm checking it out. Hold up. Yeah. Let me add that to the watch list. Yeah. No, it's Nirupam really... too, actually. Yeah, Nirupam, you, you have fantastic taste. Thank you. <laughs> Talking about taste, what did we think of Sarah Silverman in the movie? Because I'm dying to talk about her. <laughs> you know... I will say it's really it's going to be really hard for them to show Carrie Mulligan's Oscar clip if it's the one yeah. that I think it's going to be because that Sarah Silverman's opposite performance. It's not it's, good. Mm, not great. <laughs> not oh, great. How did I forget what scene we're talking about? I feel like they're going to show the scene where she's yelling at Bradley Cooper, but there's another the, scene the, that clearly uh, the movie was so riveting. The like oh, lunch scene. Netflix has been posting scene. that everywhere. And I'm like, yeah. why are you doing that? You're ruining your own chances. Because there's Miss, uh, she is there just trying to chew the scenery, but it's only getting regurgitated, honey. It's not getting chewed. <laughs> it's getting spat out. It's just not good. Not good. No. Oh, my God. The other scene that drives me crazy in this movie is the party scene where they're like singing that song to those people. <laughs> And then, like, there's that moment where Felicia and um, Leonard, Leonard are, like, having their moment in, like, the closet or, like, behind the doors or whatever. And they, like, come over oh, and yeah. the glass and keep singing. And I was just like, oh, you I'm people scared. are so annoying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember what this – I just watched it. And I don't remember the song. I'm glad I don't because it was grating, grating. There's so many That's how you know that. you're not – that's how you know you're not liking a movie when you're like, oh god, the <laughs> yeah. song they were singing. So stupid. Like there, and that's what I that's the bummer about this movie is there were so many like the scene with like the sailors singing and dancing. I oh, I yeah. appreciated the, that he, that they wanted to do this like surrealist artistic interpretation, but again, it just again it just felt like set dressings. It felt it, like it was there to to be impressive instead of tell a story and it also didn't feel cohesive in the film to me. I can I have it. a hot take in the the podcast a little bit? Yeah. I I feel as though if Maestro had done more, it would have been better. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like it was doing a lot, but it's almost like they were doing this surrealist thing you were mentioning, like this dreamlike thing in the first half, and then they yeah. abandoned that. Yep. And then the, the transitions, same thing. It's like they kind of did it in the middle of, yeah. or something. They kind of just didn't commit the full time. Um, the if the dialogue were m more something, I don't know, like if it more like crackled, or I don't know what I mean to say, but if it popped a little bit more, I think it would have come together. Like if they really went leaned into that style yeah. a lot more, I think I would have been 
talk saying something different right yeah. now. Uh, well, we're all we're all Babylon lovers, right? Oh, I love. Oh, Babylon. yeah. Yeah. So, like, I'm a huge fan of Babylon, and I feel like again, like, if you sometimes maximalism is great, yeah. and I it doesn't right. I, clearly it doesn't work for everybody because a lot of people hated Babylon, <laughs> but I do feel like that if you know if there was more energy and if it was more, more enthusiasm, right. like. Again, like, I feel like the cuts to the future and him doing those stupid fucking interviews yeah. were, again, just to be set pieces, to say, look at this crazy good, um, you know, hair and makeup that we did. And they got a nomination for it. Yeah. You know, we showed him old. We made Bradley Cooper old. It's so impressive. And Bradley Cooper was doing that dumbass old man yeah. voice that I was like, why does he sound completely different? Like, I know he's old, but like, <laughs> it, it was just, just it was like he was doing a completely different character. Yeah. And like. He's doing these like stale, like canned interview <laughs> answers. And I was like, instead of this, which was clearly there to like up the prestige because you're doing CGI face aging and makeup effects and all of this. And it's like impressive. If you had, instead of doing that, actually told the fucking story, yeah. I think it would have worked way better. And I am now getting, I said I wasn't going to be harsh, but I'm being harsh. <laughs> well, the hair and makeup thing drives me nuts because the moment there's like prosthetics to make people look fat. Or big nose, yep. or somebody mm. look Asian when they're not Asian. Those are the things that they will be like, okay, you're gonna win. But then there are movies, <laughs> and I it might be a hot take, but Evil Dead Rise. Why wouldn't you oh, give that man. movie a makeup nod? That's all prosthetics, incredible that so prosthetics at that. So why, yeah. why not those kind of movies? Back then, they used to give those uh, werewolf movies nominations all the time, but yeah. now it's it's like it's totally just one note. Well, it's, like Priscilla. Didn't yeah. didn't even make the short list for hair and makeup, which was crazy. Crazy. I, I mean, I also, I again, also think Barbie was kind of. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say snubbed because you know it was awarded enough, but the the I just will. the hair effects on Barbie <laughs> was nuts. You like know, the amount of. Yeah. It's so like, they, hard. They to made style that hair wig. look like Barbie hair. Yeah, and it it's crazy. so hard to style a wig. Ask any drag queen. Yeah. So people like just exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean the Barbie the Barbie wigs were like drag level extreme. Yeah. Like it was like extreme huge amounts of hair. But yeah. I was I mean, watching one of the featurettes too, and they I, I don't know how many wigs they had for just Margot Robbie alone, but like there was a wig for her entire character's arc, like from the yeah. beginning. Wow. Like they had different wigs to signify different like moments where she's becoming more and more human. Yeah. Um and, which I think is obviously I think is an art of its own. Like yeah. the the way that I think it comes across really well um yeah. for that movie. So if it's yeah. not out there, they will not nominate it. And it's it's crazy that people in that industry nominate. It's not like, yeah. you know, actors are voting for it. Like, these makeup artists are voting. And it's kind of, I think, what it is, is they probably don't watch the movie and just go look at the pictures and be like, this looks, yeah. you know, intense with no context. Yeah, or, I mean, I also think that there's, like, a lot of politics, too. Because, yeah, like, true. just like there is uh campaigning and stuff i feel like you know you work with certain people you respect certain people yeah. you have teams that you like i think especially because you're voting within your own industry a lot of the time it's like a lot of people who worked on a certain project or their friends worked on a project mm. and not to say that these people aren't don't have integrity when they're voting i just think there's a lot of like of course natural human biases that come into play yeah. um and that they're voting it's a much smaller pool because you know when you get into those technical levels it's far less people that yeah. are voting so yeah, but I mean, like, you know, I don't, I don't think that necessarily, I don't know enough, maybe I'm incorrect, but I don't think that necessarily, like, winning an Oscar for hair and makeup is as career changing as it is for, like, an actor or something like that, because okay. your career is not as, like, audience facing, so that's, like, less billable. Yeah. Um, But still, I, you know, it would be great to see 
other projects get recognition. But I, you guys, I think this was such a good conversation. I feel like we actually, I was nervous how the Maestro conversation was going to go because I didn't want to just be like mean. But like, I do think that we had like a very productive conversation that wasn't yeah. just, you know. Yeah. You know, th- I do think there's a lot of good criticisms about the film, so. I agree. I was actually nervous because I didn't know right before uh, you logged on, Nerdpalm and I were saying we have no idea what we're going to say. Yeah. Um, but You guys nailed we, it. Oh, my God. We na- Yeah. Who knew? It's so <laughs> well, I was really I, nervous. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I wanted to have you guys on because like I, like I was saying before we started recording, like, I think you guys are hilarious. I like I think you guys are brilliant and have wonderful takes. Um, and I also thought that it would be really funny to talk about my show specifically with you guys so i I think we nailed it on all accounts i think you guys did such a good job who left snoopy in the vestibule you abandoned Uh, who abandoned (laughs) knives out knives out three when when that intense uh argument is cut uh, the tension is cut by snoopy just floating (laughs) just floating by this movie is uh, not real. Like what? <laughs> no, it's yeah, absolutely absurd. Anyways, thank you guys so much for being on. Uh, this was truly a delight. You can find Nearpom and Mike on social media, uh, all the usual places: TikTok, Twitter. Um, Nearpom, your handle is huge as a mammoth Dot on all films. platforms. Yeah. Stop films, and Mike is watch with Mike everywhere, right? Watch with Mike on TikTok. Michael Cuyado on Twitter, but TikTok is better, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. <laughs> It's better for, it's better for, I definitely like it better. Um, yeah. Anyways, I mean, in terms of like posting things <laughs> and just in general, ever since Elon took over, but all right. Fantastic. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, next week, we're going to tackle another two uh, best picture nominees to be announced. Uh, look forward to that. And thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, please uh, remember to, you know, maybe leave a rating, maybe leave a review, maybe just subscribe or tell your friends. Uh, it all, I love it all. Thank you so much. Uh, And we will see you next week.